on today's show. Uh, a couple months later, I was at a startup weekend and I and I said, hey, you know, there's probably someone down the street that would love to, to take a, a dog like ours that would yeah. do it for less money. It'd be a better experience for us and the dog. And and uh, we'll call it a place for Rover. Yeah. And we pitched that, got a minute to pitch it, got a team of 10 folks. And um, yeah, you know, it's six, seven years later, what, or five, six, five <laughs> years later, it's like a $300 million plus, you know. <laughs> Uh, business. So, yeah, so um, really exciting to be able to have an idea and pitch it and then have it actually turn into a real company. Five, four, three, two, one, one. Welcome to the Creator Institute podcast. Your host, Eric Koster. Hey everyone, on today's episode, we're going to meet a longtime friend of mine, Greg Gottesman. And, and if you want to get something, there's a little bit of something for everyone in this uh, episode with Greg. Greg has had really this incredibly unique and, and uh, unusual career path uh, that started actually with a book. And it started with a series of books when he was in college that, that went on to become one of the leading um, books about sort of college survival guide that he's done dozens of editions now and become something pretty incredible. So we'll talk a little bit about his experience writing a book while in college and, and the power that that had and, and even <laughs> the joys and the challenges of co-authoring a book with his, with his wife. And we'll talk about his experiences kind of going through different graduate school experiences and how it colored his, his future career. Greg went on to be a venture capitalist, but he was really colored by his experiences in law school and, and ultimately at Goldman Sachs. Uh, and today we'll talk more about what he's doing, which he is now running one of the leading startup studios, Pioneer Square Labs, which is this opportunity to really create companies every day. They are a laboratory that is taking startup ideas and very quickly testing and iterating from it. Um, but Greg is someone who I think can teach a lot of us about the power of, of never being satisfied, never kind of stopping that creative energy. And I think what I enjoyed most about talking to Greg that I think you'll really like is this insatiable curiosity and the fact that many of the, the steps and the, the changes in, in Greg's what might look like a very traditional path were sort of surprised people uh, in, in, in it. So uh, enjoy the episode with Greg. He is someone who's dy dynamic and insightful and I think can share a lot about this sort of this very unique and differentiated path through venture capital and ultimately into becoming an entrepreneur and today uh, running the uh, startup studio. Greg Gottesman, everyone. Greg Gottesman, uh, super excited to chat today. And um, I think what I'm excited about with, with this is, I think you and I have known each other for what, like almost probably closing in on a decade here now or so. And at yeah. yeah, at least. And, and, uh, so for, for was preparing to chat with you, I actually got to do a little bit of cyber stalking and learn some things about you that I didn't know. So that was exciting for me. And, uh, and so I, I want to chat about the, uh, the author, Greg Gottesman and <laughs> how this crazy, uh, you must've been like, I mean, early, right? Like who decides to write a book about college at that point? And how did that all come together? Cause I think, uh, the best selling college survival guide, uh, maybe in history, but how did that whole thing happen? Because I'm curious about your path towards authorship at the start of your young career. Yeah, I I wish there were some. I probably could invent a better story, but <laughs> when, I, when I went to college, I went to Stanford, and and uh, my mother, after I went to college, 
put on a conference to, uh, uh, like I think it was a day or two seminar for kids that were applying to school in our community. And she had speakers and then they would sell books and, and, uh, so, so some, most of the books they would sell would be like, which these books that have always been around, which were books like, you know, what are the 50 best colleges to go to, or what are the top 200 colleges? And then and details about what those colleges were about and what life at those colleges uh, was like. Um, and then how to get in there's books about how to get into those specific colleges, um, and applications and SAT books, of course. And she, and so she said, Hey, why don't you go to the Stanford bookstore and see if you could find any other things that I'm missing. And so I went there and what I was looking for was something like, well, how do you survive? I had just, uh, I had just, I was in my freshman year at that point of Stanford. And so I was just going through the first year and, and I was looking for different kinds of books and I couldn't find any relevant books written sort of to students about how to have a successful first year. Like once you actually get and, and there was no no internet either too. So you couldn't like just find that information anywhere else either. No, the way you would do it, there wasn't internet the way we you know, the way we think it there maybe was the early the earliest versions of the internet. This was nineteen eighty eight. So maybe somewhere in some lab somewhere there were people connecting computers to one another. But no, there was no internet the way we think of it today. Mm-hmm. And um and so yeah the way you would you would uh, research this is you just go into a bookstore and you start looking around and I couldn't find any books about how to survive college. It's certainly not anyone written by a student or someone who I would actually think would be interesting. And so I, I said, gosh, you know, I should write one. And I've kind of always been, as you sort of look, you know, here further out, a, a kind of person that if I see something that's missing, I think, well, why shouldn't I just go do that? So right, I, right. I, I, I basically gathered together, uh, a bunch of, of friends and started talking to them about this, this idea. And, and during my freshman year and then saw in between my freshman and sophomore summer started writing a book about how to survive your first year of college <laughs> written, you know, it was said written for students by students. So I had anecdotes from a hundred different students. And it was one of the first books. I don't know if there were any other that basically had all these little anecdotes from students about their experiences at college. And um, anyway, long story short, I didn't really know what I was doing. I, uh, I sent a, uh, uh, a couple chapters to, I think, two publishers, maybe three. And one of them wrote back and said, and this was Simon Schuster at the time, or a division of that, and said, yeah, we're interested. And <laughs> uh, they sent me a contract. I would have paid them to publish the book because I was <laughs> right. Um, they sent me a contract. I didn't, in retrospect, when it became very successful, I realized I probably should have done more negotiating. But yeah. uh, I was just so excited someone might actually publish my book that uh, right. I signed the contract and and uh, and yeah went through really? a, a bunch of editions and was very very successful. Yeah, that's and that's and and did you sort of you know uh, did you sort of even realize that you were kind of creating this little mini sort of empire in some ways? Like because it's it's then became right like I you know you went on to published law school version of this? Like, did you, did you sort of have any aspirations that this would become a multi-series, even multi sort of uh, educational experience sort of s- set? No, I had no aspirations of becoming anything other than uh, college revival. And, um, and I didn't have any aspirations other than having it go into its first edition. And then the first, the first Printing sold out really quickly, and then it went through, I think, seven or eight printings of the first one, and then it had seven editions, and 
And, you know, so I had no aspirations when I first wrote it that it would become anything more than, wouldn't it be just awesome to have a book yeah, published? Yeah, it would be awesome. I really loved writing. So I was always on, I was on the newspaper. I was the editor of my high school newspaper. I was on the newspaper at Stanford. And so I was really interested in, in writing. And so I, it was just a lot of fun uh, and a real passion area anyway for me to write and to kind of have, if you... Listen, college survival is no Hemingway. <laughs> there was a whole. I thought there was a whole. There was a whole chapter on partying, though. So, like, come on, you know, you had to have. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You just to the, the zeitgeist. Yeah, you see, you'll really get to understand my, you know, my uh, my sad life. If you read the, the original book, had like there was a chapter on doing your laundry because I. <laughs> I totally messed that up and, you know, little tips like, you know, which I don't think exist anymore, but like bring a, you know, have a, have a, uh, uh, a glass of quarters by your bed. I mean, little, little important tips, you know, like that, that today would be completely meaningless, but yeah. So, um, it was just really fun. I, 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 uh, again, uh, uh, got help from a bunch of, uh, of friends from around the country and a bunch of folks that were going to school with me at Stanford and, and we published it and it ended up being really successful. And, and then because of that, when I, it, it, you know, it enabled me to, to then do the, the law school survival in high school one, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and did any, you know, you were in some ways, was, your, was that your first entrepreneurial endeavor? Like, cause you, I mean, it was a business, right? Effectively. Yeah. That was my first entrepreneurial. That was the first real entrepreneurial endeavor. I mean, obviously I had lemonade stands and yep. much smaller versions of, uh, but yeah, in terms of having a real, it basically paid for graduate school, um, yeah. uh, which was fantastic, um, or certainly the uh, certainly uh, helped to do that. Yeah. Did that sort of experience, either directly or indirectly, help you in your kind of adventures thereafter? You know, you, you go to graduate school, you have, you know, so your experiences working in consulting and graduate school, like any of those things, did the book, your author, author empire, uh, lead you to any of those sorts of interesting places? You know, I think it certainly helped in terms of having something fun to talk about with uh, prospective uh, employers. I think one of the things that is crucial when you're going into interviews is having interesting stories that sort of make you differentiated from right. all the other all the other students that are uh, that are also you know talented and smart and have good grades and good scores and all that thing and all those different things. And for me, having the, the book really gave me uh, something that was quite a bit different than, uh, than I think most other folks. It's easier now to publish a book and more people right. do it and more people should do it because it's, you know, it, it is, has gotten where you can uh, just using technology, uh, not just publish something, but distribute it. Right. Uh, Back, back then, it was much more difficult. You had to have, there were all these gatekeepers you had to go through. So, so for me, it was a real differentiator and, and something I was really proud of. It also, there's something about having something tangible. Yes. That I still, even today, I've started a bunch of businesses, as you know, and invested in even more. Um, having a tangible product that you can touch and feel and, and look at there's something psychically different about that and rewarding mm-hmm. about that and and so that was really and continues to this day to be really cool yeah when when i mean you know now because you have kids in college right uh my oldest is applying to college as we yeah. speak 
So like, you know, is this going to be the goddessman, you know, handoff here? Do we have like the, the new, the new era of the college survival guide that, that you're going to co-author? <laughs> it feels well, like, it feels like yeah. a thing. I'm, I'm old and no, I don't <laughs> think so. I think, you know, it's interesting and, and you know, this with children and I think, you know, people want to have different paths. And so my sure. sense is, is that my, my two sons and daughters and my daughter will, will take different paths than I did. And so um, I've never even talked to them about it, about publishing the, an updated version. It's not a terrible idea. Yeah. Probably the most likely person to do it may be my daughter, who is the, who's the, who's on the newspaper and, and loves to, you know, do this kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll mention that to her. I'll say that Eric, uh, I'm, help you, I'm, help I'm in. Out. I'm in on this one. I mean, I, I think I think it's a, I do think it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. I, I wonder how much of your survival guides, how much would would be would be applicable. You know, if you pulled out the last version of it, that's you know from the from the early '90s and sort of looked at it, uh, you know, 25 years later, I wonder how much would still apply. <laughs> I think certain <laughs> things will apply, like how to get along with a roommate. You yep. know, chapters about time management, but. It, there was no such thing as social networking, for example, yeah. when, when we went to school. And so those sorts of things, I think, are, um, I think are so uh, different. And I just think the way in which technology has pervaded, uh, you know, has pervaded uh, college and what you do, I think, is, is, is different. But, but still, a lot of the more social and, and, and person to person aspects, I think are, are just the same, you know, we're human beings like, uh, uh, tr you know, trying to get along with other human beings. And so that stuff stays the same for sure. Yeah. You're, you're, you'd have to have a different chapter on Instagram. That would be for sure. Your, your staff right. would be definitely much, much richer. Um, right. so, so I guess, you know, tell me a little bit about the path from, uh, you know, sort of college, college Greg. And cause at the time, even, you know, you developed this business, you know, again, this, it, you know, paying for graduate school is no small feat when you're thinking about launching an authorship. Did you think about at that time, kind of going into that direction or was sort of the, the path and consulting and, and eventually into graduate school, sort of always what you thought you would, you would sort of do? Well, I always thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Really? Uh, yeah. Uh, that was my goal from the time that I can remember um, thinking about careers. In fact, I think if, I think if people would have asked me even in elementary school, what I wanted to be, I think I would have said, I want to be a lawyer. And the reason that I was so focused on that was that a lot of the people I looked up to in my family were lawyers. Hmm. My dad was a doctor, um, a surgeon. And I, again, I wanted to have a different path than he had. And his brothers were lawyers. I thought that I really looked up to them. It sounded like what they did was exciting. Most of them were in the courtroom um, and uh, were litigators. And it just seemed like an interesting life. Um, you know, it involved. You're, you're a writer, right? So that was probably a better fit is yeah. you enjoyed writing. There's a lot of. I enjoyed writing and I enjoyed debating and I enjoyed, uh, you know, all the things associated with the kind of superficial version of what, <laughs> what the law is. Um, <laughs> the stuff that lawyers don't hardly, ha hardly ever do. That's right. The things that lawyers don't do, I, was, I really found appealing. <laughs> um, and, um, and I just thought that was going to be my path. And so even if you look at, at like some of the first classes I took in college were about the Constitution 
Um, and I tried to take classes from uh, different uh, lawyer, you know, if there was lawyers teaching, you know, adjunct as adjunct faculty, I would take classes from them. And, and uh, I, my major was, I took a bunch of economics, but, but my major, my, my major was political science. And mm-hmm. I did that because I expected to go to law school and be a lawyer. Yep. Um, and uh, that was always what I thought I was going to be. And I didn't really have, I think I naturally am entrepreneurial, but I almost like, you know, in some ways, I think this idea of being a lawyer uh, kind of pushed that aspect of my personality a little bit to the side. And yeah. so, because I was so, I was really determined that I wanted to go to law school. Yep. Did um, you, were you, were you a lot of uh, lawyers that, that, uh, that I've spoken to did debate and they liked the debating aspect. Did you debate in high school or college at all? Was that something you, you were involved in? I didn't do classic debate um, just because I, I was more involved in the, for some reason I chose newspaper and was really <laughs> involved in, in student government. And so I think uh, had I not been so involved in student government and newspaper, I would have done debate, but I did like to debate. Yep. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm a natural, if you ask my wife, I try to debate. <laughs> He's also a lawyer. Yes. Um, and, uh, Guilty. but yeah, I think, I think I love debating, but I didn't do, I, I never sort of found the kind of the way in which debate clubs, uh, uh, did the, their competitions. I didn't find that quite as exciting as, as newspaper for some reason or student government. And so I, I yep. focused more on those other things, but, uh, but that probably, if I had a little extra time, I would have done debate. Yeah. That's great. And yeah. so then you were, so when, you know, you, you took a job in consulting, was that sort of, uh, was there a reason that you went in that, that route? Was it sort of designed because you thought that would most likely increase your chances of getting into law school and, or, or how did you pick what your, your sort of first job was? This is going to sound, this is going to make me sound absolutely terrible. <laughs> so I can vouch for you're not absolutely terrible. Uh, so, but uh, yeah, let's hear it. I really wanted to be a Rhodes Scholar because I thought that would help me get into a good law school probably. Yep. And so I went and tried to do that and, and didn't get one. Mm-hmm. Didn't, didn't, you know, I made it through a couple rounds or whatever. And then, no, I was not uh, a Rhodes Scholar. And, and so by that point, I hadn't actually taken the LSAT or prepared for it. I kind of was, uh, uh, was a little behind there. And I'm like, okay, let me go. Uh, I still always intended to go to law school, mm-hmm. but l- I said, let me go, uh, you know, interview with all these firms that were coming on to campus and, uh, and see what that's about. And so I did, I did interview with, with the uh, consulting firms and investment banks and, uh, you know, firms like, uh, again, people that were coming to campus just to just, just to try it out. Why not? And kind of really thought that, that consulting sounded like an interesting thing to learn business uh, you know, what was the downside of getting paid right. more money sure. than I deserve to be paid? <laughs> and then as part of that, I had always planned then during that job that I would also uh, study for and prepare for the, L- the, the LSAT, which is, I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then did you, did you intend always, I mean, you know, you, you, uh, you went, you went double grad school here with the, uh, the MBA, the JD MBA route. Did you think that was, was, did that experience lead you into that route or was it with a, uh, what, did you always decide think that you were going to do that? Everyone at BCG and and firms like McKinsey and those and the investment banks, everyone applies to business school. Very few people apply right. to law school from there. Yeah, you were um, an ugly duckling on that front. Yeah, and so at that point, uh, 
Harvard Business School did not require the GMAT. Um, and I hadn't taken the GMAT, but everyone else was applying. And so I thought, why the heck not? Yeah. And so I applied to Harvard Business School. And then I also applied to a bunch of law schools. Hmm. So I was always intending to go to law school, but uh, I thought, why not also just apply to this business school? It seemed like a lot of people were doing that. And of course, you know, who knew, you know, not, ex- not expecting that I would get in, um, <laughs> but I did. And, uh, and I also got into Harvard Law School. So, and then you apply to a third school, which is the JD MBA thing, but that's sort of a little perfunctory. And so that, and that's how it ended up happening. I, I really had it, had fully intended just to go to law school. Um, and I happened to get into business school and that really changed my trajectory, I think, in, in some ways. Cause I, I, um, you know, it's sort of, I really had a great time at business school in addition to law school. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about that. I mean, obviously you're, you're going into law school or even thinking about applying to law school with a lot of the Perry Mason dreams, right? Like I, you know, probably be a courtroom lawyer. I'm good at arguing. Did, did that sort of experience as being able to do the business school side of things at the same time, change the way you thought about lawyers, change the way you thought about law? Like what did it, what was the the shift in your mindset that happened when you sort of got that complementary piece of your experience? Well, yeah, certainly being, you know, having then worked in business for a couple of years, by the way, before, uh, before I did BCJ, I also went and was the finance director for an attorney general race. So again, back to the hmm. law, yep. um, I really thought, uh, I wanted to be a lawyer. And so the campaign that I was excited about working on was for attorney general of the state of Washington. Yeah. You were going deep, you were going deep on law, right? Like this is like, uh, the Greg Gottesman yeah. at that point was like, this is no, I, he would probably not recognize the Greg Gottesman of today, would he? No, I don't think, I don't <laughs> think I would have seen myself as an entrepreneur for sure. Yeah. I had, even though I had written these books and obviously very entrepreneurial in that way, um, uh, I really thought I was going to be a lawyer. Yeah. That's what I, and that's what I wanted to do. Yep. And I had, and I, and, and the thing was, is that I, everything that, Sometimes I feel like law is something if you're really good at school, which, <laughs> yes. know, I, I was really good at school. Like yeah. I'm like an exceptionally good at school. I don't know what else that prepares you for, but I'm good at school. Yeah. And, you know, and then, um, you know, I'm a pretty good test taker and kind of a natural, easy path is to go down the law route. Yeah. Um, and yeah. And so I, you know, it wasn't like, I feel like a lot of times people sort of go down this path um, because they're pretty good at, like, if you're a lawyer, a lot of times it's you're pretty good at school. Um, you go, you know, you can get into, you're pretty good at test taking. You get into a decent law school. You're pretty good at law school, you know, and then you go and you're a pretty good lawyer. And 20 years later, you're like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that easily could have happened to me. I was fortunate that, uh, that, that I had a couple other things, uh, get in my way that didn't, didn't, <laughs> didn't allow me to ease the, what was the path of least resistance, which I perfectly would have, would have taken. Yeah. Did you, did you go through the traditional, I guess, uh, let's take, talk about that. Like, obviously the traditional path in law school is you sort of, uh, at some point you do the on-campus interviewing for big firm jobs, right? Like that's kind of what most people sort of associate with the traditional law path. How did that play out for you? Cause it, like what, what did that experience look like for you that sort of as a JD MBA that, that may have gotten in your way a little bit, so to speak? Well, I was a JD MBA and I did well in law school. 
So a lot of the firms were interested in me specifically on the business side. So yep. they actually, in many ways, were pushing me towards because they thought that's what I would be interested in too, because I was an MBA yep. and I was interested in, and I was interested in, in exploring both the, you know, transactional side in addition to litigation. Um, so I, I, I was interested and I talked to firms about both. Uh, just interestingly, so when you when you do a JD MBA, you have three summers. Right. So I went for my first two summers. Again, I still thought I was going to be a lawyer. I fully intended that. Um, I worked at law firms. So I worked mm-hmm. my first summer at a firm here in Seattle called Foster Pepper. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was I had a wonderful summer. I loved it. Um, it was really interesting. I worked on some interesting cases. I worked both, you know, on the on as on the litigation side and also on the um, uh, doing some some securities and business transactional stuff, and I really enjoyed it. And did I did I got to do I got to sit in on some depositions and and write questions for depositions. It was fantastic, and I just thought it was a lot of fun. Um, and then the second summer, I again interviewed for law firms. I worked at a at a at a great firm in New York called Davis Polk for most of the summer, and uh, and then also worked. Uh, at Perkins Coie, another firm here in Seattle for a small part of the summer. And I thought that was pretty fun too. Uh, one of the things at Davis Polk that I did was a bunch of securities work for, uh, I actually worked, I think on a transaction with, uh, I'm trying to remember, with a couple investment banks. Um, and uh, that was really, that was really interesting. But uh, again, a lot of due diligence and documents and, and, uh, um, I, I did find it interesting, but what was most interesting was then in my third summer, I decided I would try a business job, and I worked for Goldman Sachs. Hmm. Um, do uh, you are like you were like the blue blood of all blue bloods here. You're like, you know oh, Goldman yeah. Sachs and Davis Polk, and uh, yeah. I mean, well, the nice thing was is so I had the uh, I had the JD MBA, which was a positive. I was on the Harvard Law Review. Yep. So I was a good candidate. Uh, you know, little did they know I didn't know what I was doing. But I, <laughs> I, I looked, I looked really good on paper for sure. Yeah. yeah. So I got, I got a lot of uh, of job offers because I seemed like I knew what I was doing because I was good at school and little else. Um, but uh, at that point, but uh, yeah. So so I world renowned author. Let's not forget that world renowned author. <laughs> I was a world renowned author, and I yes. and I had published again at that point. I had published Law School Survival. Oh yeah. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so um, but by the end of my of that last summer, so um, I uh, I worked at Goldman. One of the things I realized was when I was at the law firm, I was working for an associate who was working for a senior associate who was working for a partner. Mm-hmm. When I was at Goldman, I was even as a summer associate. The partner who I never got to meet, or not, not I didn't get to meet, but I didn't get to talk that much with at Davis Polk was was the guy on the phone with me as a summer associate. Interesting. So I was like, wait a second. Yeah. This is a little bit off. Um, and one of the reasons why I I ended up, it was kind of an interesting, that summer at Goldman was a little bit of a mind shift for me because I realized at least in the food chain of securities and transactional work, the investment bankers were higher on the food chain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, and uh, they didn't seem to be working 
as hard as the lawyers. I didn't even think they were smart, <laughs> but they seemed to be uh, directing what the lawyers were doing. And I was like, wait a second, if I'm going to do this, yeah, why wouldn't I maybe just go work as an investment banker? And did you, were you looking at this economically at all? Either? Did you sort of, did you, was it oh, yeah, at that point, right? Like, like, yeah, make more money? You make so much more money. Yeah. As an investment banker. And I'm not someone who cared that much about right. that. Right. But I, I, uh, yeah, it was hard not to, it was hard not to recognize just where, yeah, where the value chain, the differences in the value chain, uh, you know, if you were going to go in that kind of work. Now, if you were going to do litigation, I still think the, the, the lawyers sort of had that, you know, were, were in control a little bit more. Right, right. And I was still very interested in that. But, but, but definitely that summer at, um, at Goldman Sachs was eye opening for me in terms of, of, as a summer associate, how much how much control I had over the, a, a transaction versus what I felt like I had as a lawyer working at Davis, even a great firm like Davis Polk. Yeah. Did you now? Were you? Did you ever have any of the? You know, I think one of the famous sort of uh, stereotypes of of investment banking is like the you know seventy two hours straight awake working on a deal. Did you have any of those sorts of experiences uh, that that summer that kind of led you to? Uh, learn about the the dark side of investment banking at all? Yes, I did, but I loved it. You know, <laughs> I'm a glutton for for yep. that. I was young and I didn't need to sleep much, and I, and we and and at a, the law firms too, there was a little bit of that. But I I yeah. was gung ho about um, uh, spending all all night doing transaction. I was just you know I was just eating it all up because it was. It was different. I didn't think I would spend my whole life doing this, but like for a couple of years, you know, why not? Yeah. You know? Did you have any specific transactions you remember that were like kind of the, the ones that you feel like, you know, led you to understand sort of, cause now you're now in some ways, you know, you've sort of seen the full cycle now that you're, you've been in all of the aspects, any of sort of like IPOs or transactions or things like that, that you sort of remember from that experience. Well, it's like, yeah, it was like 25 years ago now. So, yeah. But, yeah. It's, uh, but, uh, yeah, there was a, you know, there was like a Heartstream IPO, I think I worked cool. on and I worked on this interesting M&A transaction and there was a, you know, there was, yeah, there was, there, that was a really busy summer. I think that was a summer of what, 90, was it 96, 97. So yeah, there, yep. that was a really busy summer and, and it was super fun. Um, yeah. Um, awesome. Again, I, I, that was sort of the summer where I started making this shift, but before my fourth year, I still was probably 60, 40. I was going to go do law. And after that summer, I was, I was like, you know, 70, 30, I was going to do business. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, that was the summer had I not, you know, because I had spent those two summers, you know, in law, you know, working for law firms and enjoying it. And then I had spent um, that summer and I was like, wait a second, you know, and I really, it just, you know, I just, I, it was a subtle thing, but I just came back to my JD MBA thinking a little differently about what, what I would do with my initial job out of, out of, uh, out of law school. Did you find either of those two experience? I mean, obviously you're one of, you're sort of a rare person who had like high level investment banking side of finance world. You had the consulting world and you had sort of big law. Did you find any of those experiences to be more akin to what you've seen as an entrepreneur? Like kind of, did any of them feel like they scratched that they're more entrepreneurial than the others just in your sort of limited uh, experiences early in your careers? I think the speed of investment banking is, is, is the most similar. Hmm. Um, because um, 
at least at that time, there were so many different transactions going on. You're typically working on multiple transactions and, you know, a lot of it was 80, 20 rule where you, where you would, you know, you weren't looking for perfection. You were just trying to get things, you know, get things done. And so, um, yeah, just the speed of it, I think was most like, you know, being an entrepreneur, whereas consulting was, I think the least like it because mm, that's interesting. you, it was very much, you know, slow moving, uh, you work with big companies, you know, you take three months on a project and it tended to be the strategic elements of it were, were interesting, but you know, so much of being an entrepreneur these days is about test, 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 yeah, test, yeah. test, and letting, right. you know, uh, that felt just the, the, the speed of that feels more like, uh, more like investment banking, but nothing again, entrepreneurship is its own animal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, and by far, by the way, of all the things that compared to all those things, about a thousand times better than any of those other. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy, right? But I think you, you can't know that by hearing about it. You sort of, there's like, uh, you have to experience it, right? And that's, I think it's a, uh, uh, certainly interesting. So, t- so tell us then, so take us then through, you know, you, you made in, in a lot of ways, like an, an interesting leap from there. How did the, how did the, the move into venture happen from you've come back from your, you know, I've had three summers of experience, traditional uh, sort of traditional law and, and then on to the investment banking side. How did it, how did you, how did you make the move into venture? This is going to sound again, I'm, this is going to sound uh, strange, but um, so I wanted to go back and work for Goldman Sachs. They had given me a great offer. I could have done, you know, uh, technology banking, which is what I was really interested in. And I could yep. have done private equity. And and uh, my wife and I are both from Seattle. We were married, are still married. And she said, and she's the co-author of the law book too, right? So, right. so you've, you, that, that must have been, did you, were you married when you co-wrote that book? Yes. And we still okay, married throughout the Yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> That's not like a sign. I recommend, by the way, writing a book spouses. <laughs> uh, yeah, but she's fantastic, and so yeah. So she um, she said, "Hey, because um, we were starting to think about, you know, okay, what's our a family going to look like?" And and I think she really wanted to have to be around our parents, and when we were to have a family and so forth. And so she said, you, you at least have to try to look in Seattle right. before we make this move to New York. So she is a lawyer and she had spent the summer working at a big law firm when I was at Goldman Sachs and we never saw each other, <laughs> like never. And I kind of still thought it was exciting. She's like, this is like, this is not, this isn't a great life. I mean, yeah. it's, it might be fun, but it's like, so she's like, you at least have to try to go find something in Seattle. So um, or at least look. And so I went and talked to a bunch of, of places, got some interesting offers. And I talked to this group of guys at a firm called that just sort of kicked off called Madrona Investment Group. Mm-hmm. And they, at that point, weren't doing venture as much as private equity. They were doing, mm. you know, more, uh, you know, more big deals. They had a relationship with the Bass Group, you know, out of Texas. And, uh, and, but I met these guys and I just fell in love with these guys. They just, one was Bill Ruckelshaus, who's a, who was a former, you know, uh, 
he was one of the guys in, that Nixon ordered to fire the special prosecutor. And he really stepped down. Oh, be, yeah. Some amazing, uh, amazing dinner conversations. Yeah. And so that was the Saturday night massacre. And he was the former acting director of the FBI and had been a fortune 500 CEO. And Jerry Grinstein was, had been the CEO of Burlington Northern, the CEO of the precursor to Delta. And then he became the CEO of Delta while I was at Madrone actually. And, and uh, Jack Crate, uh, sorry, uh, Tom Alberg, who was this fantastic lawyer who used to run the largest law firm here, but then had started doing some more uh, entrepreneurial type things for Macaw. And Paul Goodrich, who um, was also, you know, was a, was a, was a little bit uh, younger than those guys, but uh, was just a really super smart former litigator that was doing really interesting things in business. And they kind of had pooled their money and they were making some investments and doing some private equity stuff, but it wasn't clear exactly uh, what, you know, what the direction they were going to head is, but I just, I just fell in love with these guys. And I thought, gosh, you know, I can always go back to Goldman Sachs. I always had this philosophy that you make decisions not based on what, but who. And Mm, so in retrospect, it was a little bit crazy, but that's kind of entrepreneurial in that way. Yeah, I said, yeah. hey, I think these guys are really interesting. I, I can learn a lot from them. And they offered me, and they just had a, a, a Greg Gottesman appreciation dinner. So I now they, they, Paul Goodrich pulled out my original contract, which was, I, I think I was making a fourth of what I would have made at Goldman Sachs. Which <laughs> great thing. But it, it, was, it was sort of the chance to work with these incredible guys right, and right. maybe maybe build something and, and See, this, uh, this redeems all the fact that you were like hey you were saying you know this money thing it redeems you there you're, you're like you know taking it for the people there and the fourth of it and uh you know who knew that it would sort of pay off in spades i've always thought that like because i like work really hard and i've always i, I never was worried that like i was gonna starve and, right. and again right. my wife was a lawyer she was gonna work for a law firm she made more money than i did that 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 first year the first and second year at madrona um, and, uh, so I thought, you know, yeah, I was like, you know, we were going to, we were going to be fine and I wanted to make a bet on these, on these people. And, and Goldman of course was surprised, but, mm-hmm. but I thought, you know, I could go back there if I needed to. Um, and we just started this adventure. So that was really the first kind of crazy entrepreneurial thing I did was, yeah. was join this, this firm that, that, uh, at, th- at that point, I had some guys who are essentially, you know, more or less retired and, and uh, were kind of doing some interesting things. Not, not Paul and Tom as much, but Jerry and, and Bill and, and uh, started working with them. And, and, and they are four of the most incredible people on the planet. And one of the neat things about them was as I looked up to those guys, I thought, gosh, if I could live a life half as interesting, a quarter as interesting as they had. Right. That would be a pretty darn good life. So I thought that's a would be yeah. a good place to start. So that's you know. Yeah. While I was there, the way it worked is they were paying me basically out of their pockets. So wasn't I think that much fun for them? <laughs> and um, in order to make investments in in startup, so Tom, right before I joined, had made an investment in this little company called Amazon, mm. and. That turned out to be a good investment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was early days though. Tom was like the, you know, among the very first investors and he was like the first board member. I don't know if he was officially the first, but I think, I don't know, maybe Jeff was, Jeff Bezos was or something like that. But anyway, he was among the first. And um, we started because of that investment, getting a bunch of, of 
you know, business plans coming across our way. And Tom had also done some other investing in, in some startups. And, and I started looking at all these early stage startup companies and really enjoying, you know, uh, meeting with them, talking about their plans. Um, and we, they had structured this crazy thing where they would loan me money to make investments alongside them in these companies, which uh. at the time I didn't realize how, crazy uh irresponsible it was that i (laughs) did do that and um and one of the reasons why madrona exists today is i got a little bit nervous that i was taking on too much too many loans um and i I went to the to the to tom and jerry and bill and and paul and i said we should raise a fund uh Hmm. we're having a lot of success we had had a lot of success in some of those early investments and we should raise a fund to uh, to go and uh, and uh, you know do this you know more you know in a more formal serious way. And were you uh, doing? Were you, was, do, were you acting as lawyer? The drone venture group started. Say that again. Really? So were you acting as as like in what capacity were you mostly acting? Were you acting as more of the business guy? Did you dust off any of your legal skills? Like how did you how did your skill set apply? You apply your skill set even as a the early the, we'll call it. Sort of the 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 jack of all trades, Greg Gottesman, even before it was sort of a formal venture firm. Yeah, I used my I was doing all my skills. So I was doing term sheets and transactional documents, and obviously we had law firms. You know, uh, uh, Tom was the you know the head of secu- the securities practice at, at Perkins, and and Paul was a lawyer. But you know, for some of these early deals, we were moving really quickly on these C deals. I would read the, the documents and. And I would play uh, a little bit of lawyer, probably more business. Like, should we make an investment or not? I would write up memos and and bring people in for final, you know, for you know, and due diligence on the various business plans. And and so at age twenty nine, um, so I was I was an associate in both a certainly in a business a venture capital capacity or, right. or, or seed. I would say seed capacity, seed venture capital capacity. And also a little bit of doing a little bit of the law stuff, just, you know, but at age 29, then I became managing director of our first fund. Hmm. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Uh, it is, it is awfully funny how you, in some ways that probably the, the, the decision to go to business school probably was the reason that all those things happened. And, and had you, you know, you, you might've been just a traditional lawyer had it not been for that sort of extra summer. I think that's very true. I, I'd like to believe that, Cause I had this, this weird thing where I like, I just think about when I look at different I, things, I think, oh gosh, you know, I can like, whether it was this book or, yeah. or now, if you look at rover.com yeah. a company that I started or mighty AI or the nine companies we spun out here. Um, I just, I, I do have a knack for just thinking like that I can be part of solving a problem. Right. Um, maybe as a lawyer, I would have found my way here, but I doubt it. Because I'm sure I would have been good enough as a lawyer, probably quite good, hopefully. And and uh, yeah, I probably would just be, you know, practicing law. Yeah. And I don't I don't think quite as happy. Yeah, no, I think that's so. You you brought up a story. I I tell the story sometimes, but I'd love to hear you tell it of the Rover story because I uh, I always it's one of my favorite stories about you just because it was it's such a fascinating sort of story. Would you tell the sort of the Rover story and Startup Weekend in some ways how that uh, that whole experience came together because it's it's kind of remarkable. Yeah, well, Eric, you know, you and I both really got into the startup weekend stuff because yep. it was so invigorating. Yep. Um, 
and um, it was a way to spend a weekend and just really exercise your kind of creative, you know, juices on trying to see if you could start a company. Yep. Um, so I judged at a bunch of these competitions, but I also like to go and attend them. Yeah. Um, as did you. Yep. And I know you judge them too. Um, you and I, you and I are like those people who are like addicts. Like my, my wife is like, you can't go anymore because you're too addicted to them. So I, I, yeah, I think you and I have that same disease. Would tell me like, so you have, you have young children at home. What are you doing? <laughs> right, right. I would try to bring them, with, bring them with me because I thought it was so much fun yep. to go to these. Um, now, basically what I do all day is essentially an extended startup weekend. That's my day job. Yep. Um, so I basically, instead of just doing it on the weekends, I now literally do it every day. That's awesome. Um, that's how much fun it is. That's basically <laughs> what being a, a, you know, running a studio, a, a startup studio is about. Um, and we also have a venture fund, but I, I like the startup weekend stuff. That's what I, yeah. you know, kind of found just like you found your calling. I feel like this is my, what I was meant to do. Um, so thank you to you and, and other <laughs> folks who helped to, to push startup weekend for, I kind of found what I really enjoy yep. just starting these companies from scratch. So anyway, I, I uh, we had had a bad family experience with our dog at a at a local kennel. I uh, actually just down the street from where where my, our office is here, um, where we had dropped her off, and and uh, it was expensive. I think it was forty five dollars a night. Wow! And then we ended up we we went to we were playing a hoop fest, so we were coming back, which is in Spokane, the mm-hmm. world's largest three on three tournament. The kids were playing in it, and um, coming back. Uh, we were a little bit late for uh, to pick up to pick up our dog, and and uh, they wouldn't let us get Ruby, and so we ended up paying more. When we finally picked her up, she had kennel cough and was all scratched up. It was just one of the world's worst customer experiences. So uh, a couple months later, I was at a startup weekend, and I and I said, "Hey, you know, there's probably someone down the street that would love to to take a a dog like ours that would yeah. do it for less money. It'd be." a better experience for us and the dog and, and uh, we'll call it a place for Rover. Yeah. And we pitched that, got a minute to pitch it, got a team of 10 folks and um, yeah, you know, let's six, seven years later, what, or five, six, <laughs> five years later, it's like a $300 million plus, you know, uh, business. So, yeah. So um, really exciting um, to, to be able to have an idea and pitch it and then have it actually turn into a real company. Um, you know, years later. one of the fun stories is that one of the folks that I worked with on that startup weekend was a kid named Phil Kimmy, who was home for summer and uh, didn't have a, a legitimate summer job. He was kind of, he was a developer. He was kind of working on some side projects and he was the best developer on the team by far that weekend. And so I said to him, I said, Hey, Phil, you know, after the, after we won the startup weekend, I said, what are you doing this summer? He's like, ah, not much. If Phil Kimmy was actually working a job, Rover would not exist. I mean, if he had a legitimate job, really, I'm like, do you want to come and hang out with me? You can build, we can actually build this thing out for real and see if anyone shows up. And he says, sure. And I can't remember. I was probably embarrassed. Like, I don't know what we paid him, maybe a couple hundred bucks a week or I, it was terrible if I look back on it. Um, but he's still at Rover today. He's, you know, really, uh, you know, he's one of the most senior execs and he's fantastic. So that's, yeah, that's great. That's an amazing. And was that, was, was there a sort of a moment in your head that, that when oh, Rover happens? Are really upset. Oh, is that right? <laughs> They're like, what did you do? 
Um, when you went through Rover, did that change your mindset of you as an entrepreneur with that experience? Like, you know, you were, you're, you're like, I mean, you'd been one of the, if not the most respected venture capitalist in Seattle. And like, I mean, you had tons and tons of deals. Suddenly then here's Greg Gottesman, this entrepreneur. How did that shift in your mindset a little bit? Like what happened as you were going through that experience and since? Yeah, well, the thing that what happened was, is I did it. And so we started building it and I was like, and so I was the initial CEO until we got a, a real CEO uh, named Aaron Easterly, who's, you know, the reason for its ultimate success. Mm-hmm. Because if I was still running it, I don't know where that company would be <laughs> a long time ago, for sure. But like, it was just like, once I started working on it, it you know, and it started and customers started coming and it was, it was, it was, I was passionate about the, about the, uh, the idea and what we could do. It just, a light bulb went off. It's like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Yeah. And so, yeah, just like being a lawyer, whatever I was good, I would have been good enough as a lawyer. I mean, I was, and I was a good venture capitalist. Yeah, absolutely. I wasn't, you know, when you find, you know, when you find something and you're like, oh my gosh, like I couldn't wait to get up and go work on it. You know, that's when, you know, you, uh, you found sort of, uh, you know, more of a calling. So for me, just psychically uh, and uh, what I just feel like I'm meant to be doing was something more along the lines of, of Rover. So Rover was really a, 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 a shift for me and just because it wasn't, it was just, I was just having so much fun with it too. Um, yeah. It was so, and even though I was only spending 10% of my day, cause I was doing, I was a full-time venture capitalist at the time, you know, it, it was like, I, I always wanted to get back to, you know, and was really excited to get back to, to what we were doing on Rover. And, and that, and that, and that really led me then to start a, a startup studio inside of Madrona and ultimately start Pioneer Square Labs, which is where I work today.